Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of that song. Thank you for your great grace and mercy applied to us. So I pray that as we share this morning that you would stir our hearts again of that great grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, before I bring up Pastor Mark to share about this new venture that Pastor Sunder alluded to last weekend, which you've all been waiting to hear and holding uh, your breath, uh, and also by way of introduction, I want to ask you a question this morning. If you had to communicate something very, very important to someone, um, and parents, you know this, you know, you want to communicate something to your kids, what would you do? Would you send them a text message? Or an email, would you leave a little post-it note on the fridge? Well, of course not. Not if it's really important, right? You usually, well, what, this is what my parents did with me, and this is what we do with our kids. We sit them down, we put our hands on their shoulder, we look them in the eye, and we communicate that truth over and over and over again until we believe that they've actually got it, right? And, and in some way, this is what Jesus did to his disciples just before he was going back to the Father in heaven and he wanted to communicate what the church was supposed to be all about. And so he does this in the Gospels. In Matthew 28, on the Galilean mountain with his 11 disciples, he says, he says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to obey all that commanded you. And I will be with you always to the very end of the age. And then again, in Luke chapter 24, where, uh, or Mark 16, sorry, when he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to everyone everywhere. And then in Luke 24, he says, with my authority, go to the nations, starting in Jerusalem, and tell them that there is forgiveness of sins through me. And then in John, when he appears to his disciples, and then before he breathed the Holy Spirit on them, he says, as my Father has sent me, I am sending you. And then lastly, in Acts chapter 1, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So in the Gospels, Jesus commissions us, his church, to go and preach the gospel and to go and make disciples. And that's why our mission statement for Rexdale Alliance Church is to go to make uh, disciples of many peoples who will follow Jesus Christ in authentic worship. It's all about preaching the gospel and making disciples. And you know, in the evangelism ministries, we have a two-pronged approach to making that happen. Uh, first of all, we want to come alongside you and we partner with you in your own personal evangelism. Now, the danger with having an evangelism department in the church is that people will think, oh, well, someone's doing it, then I don't have to do it. Well, that's not the case. That's not what the Bible tells us. That really, our job is to come alongside you. You are the one in redemptive relationships. And last count, we found that there's about 1,500 people who call Rexdale Alliance Church their church home. And so God is sending you out into different parts of this city. And we come alongside you in uh, you making disciples in your neighborhoods, in your homes, uh, in your workplaces, and in your schools. And we do that through different ways. Like We have uh, our Alpha course, which you've heard about, where you can bring your friends, uh, expose them to a great presentation of the gospel. We have our friend series and also our Christmas banquets. Again, we're just partnering with you as you're already um, having those redemptive, redemptive relationships. 
We also want to train you in um, how to share your faith through Base 4, uh, also through different modules and other training events. And lastly, we provide you with resources. If you actually go to the ministry board, you'll find uh, you know, different types of uh, resources that you can give to your friends, whether it be the Tough Question series or the um, uh, uh, Purpose Driven Life, um, Knowing Jesus Personally booklets, all those kind of resources that you can, again, use uh, in different places. And, you know, I've always been convinced that the best discipleship is when we're doing evangelism. Uh, I know that uh, I want to read my Bible more. I want to be engaged in my relationship with God when I'm sharing my faith. And so uh, Pastor Sinder has been encouraging us to read the Word of God regularly and to also uh, even study uh, systematic theology so that we get to know God better. But, you know, the more you know God, the more you're going to desire to get to know him, uh, to make him known. And the more you make him known, you're going to know him better. And secondly, our goal is to be missional. And really, it's just to reach out to our community. God has called us here at 2459 Islington for a reason. This is our Jerusalem. And um, he's commissioned us to reach out uh, in different ways, through our youth drop-in center, as Mark had shared, through road hockey ministry, uh, through our neighborhood connections ministry, through the food pantry and lunchroom and other ministries, as well as Tanbridge connections. And you'll hear about that more uh, next weekend. But again, it's all about making disciples. And, you know, through these different evangelism ministries, uh, together we've been able to share uh, the gospel with about 1,500 people through different ways. Uh, about 30 people have made professions of faith, and eight of them have been baptized. So we have uh, reason to rejoice, and I know we can do so much more, but God has been so good. And so our strategy is to make disciples. But, you know, along the way, we recognized something. We realized that something was missing. And many of us have been envisioning uh, this new venture for many, many years, but we just had to wait for God's timing. And I know for me, God has stirred my heart, and I've been talking to different people about that, and they've just been excited. And really, but I wasn't really getting a lot of traction. Uh, you know, people were skeptical at times. And it wasn't until I, I was driving up to the district conference with Mark and Pastor Wayne and Betty, and uh, Mark and I were sitting together, and I just shared... Um, this vision with him, and, you know, he, at first, he says, I don't like it, <laughs> and then, um, uh, it's good, it was a five-hour car ride, and so, and by the end of that time, God had just totally sold Mark out, and, you know, now, every time I see him, he says, oh, I'm so excited, of course, I can't do it like he does, because he's got a lot more energy than I do, so, um, I'm just going to call Pastor Mark up to, uh, again, share about this new venture, and I pray that God would stir your heart, just as he stirred ours. Thanks, Pastor Sam. Good morning. Well, I don't have five hours to convince you of something, so I will just share my heart out and trust that God will plant a seed and that excitement will slowly begin to build. Uh, you know, I'm very privileged to be here today as, as my first time sharing with you in this uh, big congregation. Uh, I was born in this church. In fact, my parents had just come to faith, and we still have in my baby book the little clip from the bulletin that says uh, how much I weighed and when I was born and all that. And it's, uh, I was thinking, like, man, it was so long ago. It was in black and white, but Looking at the bulletin, it's still black and white, so uh, we haven't changed much. That's good. Uh, I like consistency. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm very privileged to be here because I love this church. You know, I grew up in the Sunday school. I got sent to the office from Sunday school. Uh, I grew up in the youth ministry here. I got saved and baptized here. Uh, I met my wife here, and uh, we got married right here on this stage. And uh, I work here now. I love the, the impact that this church has on the community. I love our love for missions and telling people about Jesus. And uh, I love that in the Christian Missionary Alliance, you might not know this, but we are known as a 
Scottsdale is known for developing young leaders, and I'm very thankful to be one of those and get to work under uh, guys like Pastor Sam and Pastor Sunder and Pastor Wayne and all the rest. Uh, and it's just been an amazing experience. And I want you to know, uh, first, right off the bat, that I do love this church. And uh, everything I say today, I just want to clarify this, okay? Uh, let me just read this for you uh, very quickly because I don't want you to misunderstand this. The vision that we're sharing today uh, is with a love for Rexdale and with a desire to leverage the existing organizational structure, leadership, and community impact. It has developed by God's grace over the last 50 years to impact the next 50. If you get anything else out of what I'm saying today, I pray that that will just fall down because that's not what we're trying to communicate at all. It's out of a love for Rexdale. And uh, the other reason why I feel privileged to be here is because uh, this is something that, as Pastor Sam said, you know, has recently come into my life. It's new to my radar, maybe the last six or seven months, whereas some of you have been praying for this for over a decade. I know this because I've talked to you and I've heard uh, your passion and your heart and the tears that have gone out to God uh, for this uh, vision. And so I feel privileged just to be able to share the good news of what God has been doing. And uh, today, you know, as, as Sam said, it's a new venture, and it's kind of a confusing new venture. We're not really quite sure what to call it, and that's why we call it a new venture. And it'll start to make sense, but it's kind of a hybrid of a church plant, new service, launching of a new congregation. It's a whole bunch of things kind of mixed together, and God is still kind of working that out. So we're going to call it a new venture, and we're going to uh, be talking a lot about church plants. But that's, uh, in essence, what we're talking about today. And, uh, and so what I want to do is I want to do that in three parts and explaining it. And I'm going to explain it in the way that it kind of came to me and how God works through my heart because that's the best way I know how to explain it. And I'm just praying that that will help you uh, catch the vision as well. And so the first thing I want to do is talk about the reason for church planning. And let me tell you a little bit about myself. Uh, growing up, uh, I had... Uh, you know, people have core values. Organizations have core values. I had this personal core value. I didn't talk about it much, but if you knew me growing up, you knew this was something that was core to me. Efficiency. I love things to be fast. Like, I'm the type of guy who, when I get to the grocery store, like, the car is, is getting in the park, the door's already open, and the seatbelt's off, and one leg is out. Like, I like things to be efficient. So everything that I do, I try and do fast. I'm trying to, multi- I'm trying to get it all done as quickly as possible. I'm not very good with multitasking. My sisters used to say, you know, you can't wash dishes and talk, so they would, you know, let me dry, so I wouldn't hold up the process. Uh, but efficiency was key. And a year and a half ago, something happened in my life that totally caused me to question and, and threatened this core value. Can anyone guess what that was? I got married. Man. And let me tell you, my wife can multitask. She is productive, but efficiency is not the filter that she flows everything through in life. And so this was just like a collision. And so uh, I'll share two stories of things that really just helped me realize this. We went to the grocery store for the first time as a married couple, and I took the list. I split it in half. I said, all right, divide and conquer. You do yours. Meet back in 10 minutes. And she looked at me like I was speaking a foreign language, and I'm like, just go, go get your stuff, and we'll be back here. I wanted to take two shopping carts and be more efficient. She took my hand. She grabbed the shopping cart, and we walked down every aisle. I mean, we didn't even have a lot of money. We weren't going to buy things from every aisle. But she wanted me to go down every aisle with her and tell her about her day. And in that moment, I realized, you know what, there's maybe more to this efficiency thing. Maybe, you know, relationships are important and building that, and that's productive, so I guess I can be down with that. I remember another time, uh, I, I used to brush my teeth when we were newly married, and then I, I still brush my teeth, but... Uh, <laughs> I used to brush my teeth, and then I'd get into bed, and I'd wait, and I'd wait, and I'd hear her, you know, the sink running and everything, and so I walked into the bathroom, and she was brushing her teeth, and I said, that's so inefficient, Trifina. and so I, I remember, and I don't know why I did this, I grabbed the toothbrush, and I started brushing faster, I'm like, this is the more efficient way to do it, and again, she looked at me like I was a freak, and I let her brush her teeth however she wants now, and, uh, but you have to understand, that is the filter that I even put everything through in life. And so uh, growing up and hearing this idea of church planting, efficiency was the way I looked at it. And, uh, and so when I, uh, uh, when I share with you today how I, I viewed church planting, some of you are going to say, yes, 
Amen. That's exactly it. Others are going to say, that is a terrible view. And that would be my wife. How could you think that? And then others of you are going to think, what is church planning? Like, what is it? Maybe you're visiting here for the first time. So let me give you a one-minute working definition of what church planning is. Or actually, let me back up one step. Let me explain what the church is. The church, many people believe it's just it's a building. Uh, the church in the Bible uh, 2,000 years ago was referred to always as a group of people who are passionate and seeking after God and serving him. That's what it was. It could happen in a warehouse, in a building with a steeple. It could happen uh, in someone's basement in a country where it's illegal to even call yourself a Christian. Uh, it could happen anywhere. It's a collection of believers who are passionate about Jesus. And so that's what the church was. And 2,000 years ago, this church planning movement started. After uh, Jesus came, uh, a man named Paul was going from city to city, and he was just so excited. And he, he had just heard about Jesus, and he couldn't help but want to tell people. And when he'd get to different cities and different cultures, he'd find different creative ways to engage with the culture, and he'd tell them about who Jesus was. And then as people began to believe and live out for Jesus, he created little churches there. And then when that had happened, he'd move on to the next city, and he'd encourage those people. He'd send them letters, and he would just uh, he'd come back and visit them. But then it was up to that local church in that area to impact. And that local church would then begin impacting that community and start sending out missionaries just like Paul. And that is how the word of God spread throughout the world. And that's an efficient model to me. That's exciting. And we still do that today. And that's why missionaries, when we go, we send them and they go to, to different places and they tell people about Jesus. And then, uh, you know, churches are planted and then, and then the missionaries leave and those churches can now impact their home and their community in a way that's relevant to them. And uh, so that is great. I love that model. But there was something that didn't jive with me. The idea of church planning in North America. I didn't like it. I was like, you know, there's churches everywhere. They're not even full. I don't understand why we need to plant churches in North America. In fact, I remember going to one city one time, and there were four churches, one on each corner of the street. And I thought to myself, that's so... So I went and I asked one of the custodians who was there working, and I said, this is an amazing building. It's beautiful. It's a huge old church, just the amazing architecture. I said, how many people go to this church? She said, 25. 25? And so I came up with this theory. I was wrong, and I'll tell you why after. But I came up with this theory. I said, why don't they sell three of the four churches? And then all pack into the one church. That way it'll be full. And then they could pick the best preacher. They could pick the best worship team. And the people with the nice voices could sing. And I mean, it would just be an awesome church experience. And I mean, they would just leave there pumped and excited. And I'm like, that, that's just a brilliant thing. I should write a book about that. But uh, I realized, you know, through driving with Pastor Sam and Pastor Wayne and Betty, uh, you know, there was more of this idea of church planning. And... Uh, and as I, uh, I began to read after that, uh, I read a lot of articles that were game changers in my life. And one article by someone a lot of you read is Tim Keller. And he basically, he didn't just have a one-off experience and write an article about it. He uh, just did tons of uh, denominational survey research. And this is kind of some of the things that he discovered. Number one was uh, the idea that church planning and having churches all over the place is so important. And this is kind of his thesis. This is what he says. He says, nothing else, not crusades, outreach programs, parachurch organizations, growing megachurches, Congregational consulting nor church renewal processes will have a consistent impact of dynamic, extensive church planning. Well, remember who's telling you this, someone who works for an outreach program, okay? So I'm not trying to lose my job here and tell you it's not important. These things are so important. But the key that Keller was saying was the first thing you need to realize is we cannot do those things without a local church present because people cannot come to faith, that seed cannot be planted if they cannot join a local body where they can grow. That is so crucial. And so the two work beautifully together. The second thing he says is... Uh, they are so much better. Church planning, is, church plants are so much more effective at reaching people for Christ. And he shares this first statistic. 80 to 90% of church growth in a church more than 15 years old 
comes from other churches. Pastor Wayne calls it the shuffling of the saints. It's not a bad thing. Okay, you know, people move and, you know, people leave here all the time and go to other churches because they're moving or work or whatever. And we pray for them and we bless them. We're excited. Other people move here. Or, you know, they feel passionate about a different ministry that a church might have. That's a great thing. But 80 90% of the new people that come to a church are actually churched. Whereas in a church plant, 60 to 80% of church growth in a church less than five years old comes from those who are unchurched. And you say, well, what do you say? It's just the life stage of that. Just like a baby grows a lot when it's young and then it stabilizes after that, it kind of plateaus. Uh, a young church, a new church, is out, outside focused. They have to be. They have to survive. It's just in their DNA. That's what happens in the early part of the church. So as we continue to plant churches, that's what happens. And it actually, people say, well, won't that take away from the body? And, you know, when you plant a church, some people go and then the church gets smaller. It actually helps it grow because then people come to faith at the church plant. But then they'll actually, it'll be kind of like an evangelistic feeder. And they actually end up coming. So both uh, gain from that and the and so that means that two churches the same size one that's a church plant and one older than 15 years old six to eight times more effective at reaching unchurched so i'm not saying one's better than the other they both need each other and so uh the last thing that keller says and this is what i really want to focus on today and actually sorry he says a lot of other things if you'd like to kind of read some of these articles it's just amazing uh, how important church planting is but the one i want to focus on is he says this he says a church plant can reach a new target audience better Period. And I know some of you are thinking, whoa, 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 target audience, that's a marketing principle, that's a business principle, but we don't talk about it in church. Jesus said it's for slave and uh, free, you know, Jew or Gentile, everybody, the gospel's for everyone. We don't target certain people and exclude other people. Well, no, and I'm going to try and explain it a little bit more so it'll make a bit more sense. So first, I have a question for you guys. Who can tell me what logo that is? McDonald's, one person. Don't lie, you go there all the time. All right, well, McDonald's. And uh, this, is, this, this research is actually a little bit old that I'm going to talk about right now. I was talking to someone last night, and they're saying with the McCafe, it's changed a little bit. But for the longest time, uh, let me ask you guys a question. What was McDonald's target audience? What do, what do you think? And I'm talking like profession or age group. What do you think? Families. Families. No. <laughs> Pastor Sunder didn't know either, okay? So don't be offended if you don't get it right. <laughs> Anybody over here? Kids. <clears throat> Anybody else? Mothers? No. Good guess. Anybody else over here? Yes. Construction workers. Construct- Doesn't that blow your mind? I had no idea. But the reality is they're the ones who will actually eat there the most. They'll often eat there, not to say all construction workers, I'm not making a general statement, but often those are the people that would eat there the most, sometimes one or two times a day. It was quick. Uh, it didn't matter how many calories were in the meal because they were going to burn them like it was nobody's business because they're working hard. And so that's why uh, no matter how many you know, people tried to eat McDonald's and uh, you know, almost died for an entire month and made a movie out of it, that would never deter the Big Mac from being front and center because the people who the target audience was didn't care. And you're thinking, but, but I see tons of kids in there, and I see young people, and I see people who you know, don't have a lot of money. I see you in there, Mark, and you're not a construction worker. Yeah, you're right. And that's the cool thing about target audiences. You target one audience, and then often you hit a whole bunch of other people without even doing anything. And then you can add little things to hit even more people, like toys, or have the only playground in the neighborhood. You're going to get kids. It's just going to happen. Or be cheap. Students are going to go. It's fast. And so that's the cool thing about target audience. You aim for one, and you hit lots of others as well. Now, the other thing is with the target audience uh, is that when you hit some people and then you accidentally hit others as well, there are certain people that you won't hit. 
You won't get it. My wife, I don't know if you know this, she doesn't like McDonald's. If you're taking her out for lunch, take her to a really nice restaurant. She will love that because I don't usually do that. Uh, but take her to a, a nice restaurant. Don't take her to McDonald's. Now, McDonald's can hear them and say, there's people who don't like McDonald's. There's people who won't come to a restaurant. And they can do research. They can find out what they like. And they can try and change and try and become what those people want McDonald's to be. And, and for my wife, they'd probably need to come to the table and take her order and not be greasy and, you know, have fresh produce that's not chopped up so you can actually see if it's fresh. And all those things. You have to change all of those things. But you know what? She probably still wouldn't go. And then all the people that they're targeting probably would stop going. And Keller says this as an example. He says, when churches try and target a new target audience, they often deter the one that they're trying to reach and don't reach the new one better. And uh, we learned this with our church, uh, a church that we launched about 15 years ago. This church had a burden to reach uh, new Chinese immigrants. And, you know, we had two options. We could have had Pastor Sunder up here and Susanna standing next to him, and he could have said a sentence, and she could translate, and, you know, we could go back and forth. We'd be the last in line at Sochelle by the time church got out. It would take forever. What we'd do is we probably wouldn't reach the new target audience of new people who uh, weren't speaking any English from China, and we'd probably lose a lot of you as well. Instead, what we decided to do is we decided to target a new target audience, and we were able to reach them better. And, you know, 15 years later, that church is still going strong. So then the question comes up, well, what about Rexdale's target audience? Does Rexdale have a target audience? Yeah. And so we had to wrestle with this because when we asked people at first, they'd be like, well, no, look around. We have 50 different nations present. We have people from all different age groups. And I mean, it's just such an eclectic mix. But we do. When we talked about it, we're like, you know, the way that we do, at least our weekend services, we do target people. Whether we put it on a plaque or not, we do. People who potentially have a good command of the English language. People who are well-educated. People who are spiritually literate and mature. And then you say, whoa, 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 I don't fit into that box. I know people who don't fit into that box. You're right. That's the beauty of target audiences. You hit one, but then others can come too. And I'm not saying this is a bad thing. In fact, I want us to realize this is a good thing. This is why, as Pastor Sam said, 1,500 people come here and worship every weekend. We hit our target audience well. They're growing and they're serving and they're praying. Missionaries are being sent. This is a good thing. And I'm sure you drive past dozens of other churches as you come here. I'm sure other people drive past this church and go to other churches. It's just it's a cool thing. It's, it's the city that we live in, and we're thankful to God for that. I remember speaking to someone uh, recently uh, who's new to Rexdale. And I said, you know, what was it that drew you into Rexdale? And she said, this might sound silly, but it was the PowerPoint. PowerPoint? Yeah, I just felt like I knew that the pastor had actually prepared something, and, you know, he knew where he was going. Okay, and so that was something that had reached her that other churches, it just, it just didn't work for her. She just had no idea when she was going to get out. And so, Kristen, <laughs> I don't know. And, and please hear what I'm about to say right now, okay? This is not a problem. It's an opportunity. Not a problem, but an... Come on, not a problem, but an... You guys are so much better than Saturday night. Wow. Well, let me tell you, uh, what we have to realize is that this means that there are thousands of people within walking distance of Rexdale that we don't target. It's just a reality. We have to realize that. Let's be real, okay? That's the reality. Now you're saying, well, that's okay, because just like the example you gave at McDonald's, just because we don't target people doesn't mean that we can't reach them, doesn't mean that they can't come. And amen, you're totally right. That's why there's people here today that don't fit into that box. But I have to give one more example. That's Mercedes. And uh, 
the, the questions are too easy. Uh, so that's a Mercedes. And if Mercedes wanted to sell more cars, what they could do is they could try and have more dealerships, right? You know, the more dealerships you have, uh, the more accessible it becomes to people. But they probably wouldn't do that by putting one in the neighborhood that I grew up in. I love the neighborhood I grew up in. It was a really fun neighborhood. Actually, we were a minority. We were the French people. And then we were surrounded by Italians and Jamaicans. We used to call it where pasta meets Rasta. Uh, but, you know, growing up in that neighborhood, we were, we were a working class neighborhood. And uh, you could put a Mercedes dealership right next door. We could see it every day. We could want one. But it would never be accessible to us. We couldn't afford the car. We couldn't afford the down payment or the monthly payments. We couldn't afford the insurance. We couldn't afford the gasoline. We couldn't afford the winter tires. We couldn't. We, it would not be within accessibility. And that's the thing. Proximity does not equal accessibility. And oftentimes, the way that we do things to hit one target audience completely will alienate another. And so uh, just the way that we talk in church, the language that we use, uh, the songs that we'll sing and the language that we use and that, just the way that we uh, present the message, the cultural wrapping that we give it, as Charles Arnold would say, uh, helps us reach one target audience, but then makes it inaccessible to others. And uh, just to give you a little bit of uh, research that we've kind of done, there are over 200 people now, I think my, my chart says 185, it's changed since then, over 200 people that come into this church every single week for an outreach program. Less than 10 come to weekend service. Less than 10. Pastor Sam said, just this year alone, 30 have come to faith, 8 have been baptized, but less than 10 come to a weekend service. And so, you know, you might think, like I did, well, maybe they just don't want to come to church, maybe they just want the programs. But, you know, as I began to talk with them and interview them, I said, you know, why, oh, you know, I talked to the 10 people who do come. They said, oh, we know that we, we should come and we want to grow, but I said, and are you growing? Like, no, we don't understand the words of the songs. We don't understand uh, the word that's being brought to us. Like, we're just totally confused, totally lost. And so what we realized is, is that there's a huge potential here. I, I work in the youth outreach department. Anyone know how many years the youth, youth center has been open? Anyone remember? 10? 14. 14 years. I was actually, I remember being a kid when they actually launched it, and I was so excited. It just sounded like such a great idea. I never knew that I'd get to work in it. Uh, but, uh, you know, 13, 14 years it's been running. Do you know how many students have come through there? Thousands. How many have come to faith? Tons. How many have indicated a decision? How many joined outreach Bible studies? So many have done that through the years. How many are worshiping with us uh, this weekend? Three. Three. I shared this with, with Scott Beals, and I was, I was trying to convince him, and he kind of looked at me with, with tears in his eyes. I have permission to share this story. And he said, Mark, he said, you don't need to convince me of this. I know this. 15 years we've been doing road hockey. What do we have? Two or three kids that we know for sure their lives have been changed. And it's, it's not to say that seeds haven't been planted or that they're not worshiping uh, at another church. But really, is that really it? And again, I'm not saying this is a problem. I'm saying it is an opportunity, something that has so much potential. Let's go back to the Mercedes example. If Mercedes wanted to sell cars in the neighborhood that I grew up in, they'd need to make an economical car, a small engine, cheap on gas, you know, the regular, the bronze, not the premium. You know, they'd have to change uh, you know, the parts so that they're cheaper so the insurance wouldn't go up. They'd need to change everything so that I could afford it. But, you know, they would probably never do that because they would lose their reputation as a luxurious, prestigious, exclusive automobile maker. But the gospel's not exclusive gospel is not exclusive. This is why we send missionaries all over the world. This is why we spend money training them and getting them to learn the language so that they can communicate this joy that has changed their life to others so that their lives can be changed as well. And this is where our new venture comes in. You see, we don't change what we're doing. We can't change what we're doing because we're doing it so well. Yes, there's always tweaks and changes, little things that can be done, but we don't change it to try and reach a new target audience. We're going to detract what we're doing now and we're not going to reach the new one better. Instead, we start this new venture. 
And what we're looking at right now is in September 2012, launching a church service across the street at Thistletown Collegiate in the auditorium. Launching a new church service. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to be doing things totally differently. The way we're going to preach, the way we use technology, the way we use the arts and visuals will be totally different. The music and the wording will be totally different. But the message will be the same. The word of God will not change. We can present it a different way, but we will not change that. And, you know, someone came up to me and they said, you're not going to water down the gospel, are you? I said, no, no. We're just doing what Paul and Jesus did. You know, depending on the audience, we just present it in a totally different way, but we don't ever move from the word of God. And so that's what we're doing. And you say, well, is it going to be a church plant? Is it going to, you know, be its own church like upper room? And what we're calling it right now is a new venture. And according to the Christian and Missionary Alliance, a new venture is something that has the permission and potential to become its own church, but doesn't have to. And right now we're going to leverage the existing organizational structure, leadership and community impact that Rexdale has. And we're going to do one thing well, that weekend service. And people say, well, are you going to start an alpha program? No, there's one across the street. Men's fraternity? Across the street. How about a food bank? Across the street. No, we can leverage all that. Do you need to get your own accountant? Nope. There's one across the street. How about administration? Nope. Office space? Nope. It's all there already. We get to leverage all of that. I remember someone once sharing, you know, they, they, they pictured Rexdale, like the mothership and a whole bunch of things kind of launching out. And so we're kind of testing this out to see, is this kind of the next phase that Rexdale is going to go into where they just continue to start launching different campuses that reach different neighborhoods in different ways? And so that's what we're going to be doing. And we're really excited about it. And uh, those of you who want more information, whether you feel just called to pray about it or feel called to help send, or help go. I remember uh, someone who heard about this was like, you know what? Uh, my family goes to 9 o'clock service. You guys do it at 11. We're, our whole family is going to be there to help you guys serve and get this thing going. And so uh, this is what we're going to do. And if you'd like more information, Pastor Sam is going to be walking around and you can give him your email address and we'll be sending out uh, prayer updates. And we're going to have some town hall meetings in February that you can kind of just come, ask your questions and pray. And we're just going to be seeing how God moves. But what I want to share with you last today, because this is the part that's going to move your hearts, is how God has been working in this. Because as Pastor Sam said, people have been praying for this and feeling this. And if you talk to people in outreach ministries, I mean, their hearts are just screaming for joy at this because they are realizing that we need something like this. And I want you to realize how God has been moving in this. And so this is more like a missions report than anything. But uh, I want to share with you first how he moved in my heart, then how he moved in the hearts of the leadership of this church, and then uh, how he began to move into individuals and lives of uh, this congregation. Not that that's the order that God moved in, but that's the order I experienced it in, and so I can best testify in that way. Number one, uh, I, uh, I got the joy of doing the preaching this summer at uh, Neighborhood Connections, and then uh, Peter Scott's been doing that faithfully for years, and I finally got the joy of realizing why he does it. You see, when I speak at a church uh, or I speak in a youth group to, to Christians, you know, the, the response is always the same. Hey, great job, Pastor. Thanks so much for bringing the word. And that was a great analogy. Great example. Do you work out? And, you know, all the types of things that they ask you after you preach. And, and uh, you know, that, that's encouraging. That's great. But these people would come up after you shared the word of God with them. They'd say, Jesus said that? Is that really what sin is? Are you, is it, I had no idea the Bible said that. Of course Peter Scott's been in this for years. There's so much joy in realizing that something that has been inaccessible for so long can now be made accessible. And that's why in that moment I realized this needs to be made accessible to people. Not dumbed down, but just brought to them in a way that's culturally relevant that they can actually understand. And so that was the thing that sold me on it. The second thing was Pastor Sam didn't say the five hours was actually split in kind of a two-part two uh, convincing or conversion. Number one was convincing me of the vision and how that was a great idea. And then I was like, yeah, this is great. And then they kind of teamed up with me and said, and you should lead it. And I said, no, that's terrible. And I, I, and I was honest. It wasn't one of those kind of like, no, yes, no, yes. It was a no, no, no. Because I was like, this is why I can't do it. This is why I can't do it. This is why I can't do it. And I'm doing these outreach and I just came up with all these excuses. And then I did what every Christian does and they don't know how to say no anymore. I'll pray about it. And so... 
you know, I went home and I, I did actually pray about it. And I said, God, you know, this is why I can't do it. I'm committed to youth outreach. I don't feel like I have the, the giftings. And I just kind of went on and on and on and on. And God spoke very clearly. He said, Mark, I'm not calling you to something new. I'm calling you to do your job. You know that you are called to reach youth in the community and get them connected into a church. Because if you don't get them connected into a church, you know what's going to happen. And I said, all right. And he said, and then, hey, if that happens to, to impact neighbor connections people and community people and other people or people who come to friend and then are looking for an easier way to understand things, then that's a bonus. But I'm just asking you to do your job. I said, okay. So now I'm starting to get sold on this. And then I was uh, reading this book about church planning. I said, I'm getting ready for this. And I start reading this chapter called, How Do You Know You're Called? You know, I'm going down the list and it's, you know, do you feel like you're called to this community? Yes, my wife and I felt that clear call. We bought a house in this neighborhood. We're just so excited to be here. And do you uh, feel like you connect well with the people in this community? Yes. And then it was like, are you only doing it because your dad was a church planter? No. Are you in it for the money? What? Where do you plant churches? No. And, and I was just, and, and as I was going to listen, and then this one, uh, a cool thing happened, uh, you know, three days before I read the next, uh, before I read this next question, so let me explain to you. Uh, my wife, she's only been out of teacher's college a year and a half. If you know anything about the teaching profession, uh, odds aren't good she'd even be on a supply list by now. But she has right now a full-time job with the TDSB, which is unheard of, and we know that's by God's grace, and we're very thankful, and she's very excited. But she came home about three months ago, three days before I was reading this, this article, and she said, Mark, uh, God's been speaking to me, and she's like, I, I'm, I know I'm here for the year. I know I'm committed to that. But she's like, I don't know if this is what God really wants me to do because I feel like I can't serve our community. I feel like I'm not uh, doing what we were called to do. And I'm really feeling called back to this neighborhood, called back to this community. So maybe next year I'll go back to part-time or supply teaching or something like that. And I did what every good husband said. I said, dear, we'll pray about it. And, of course, I'm thinking in my head, how are we going to pay the mortgage? But then three days later, I read the, I'm going down this questionnaire. And the second last question is this. Is your wife called to it? Does she feel called to the community? And then the author put in brackets, if she doesn't, you're not. Then the, then the last thing that God kind of solidified this in my heart was I was at a conference called Catalyst, 13,000 Young Pastors. It's a leadership conference in Atlanta, Georgia. And, uh, and I was going there just for leadership growth and stuff and really excited about it. But God had a different plan. He put me in a car with Dave Enns. If you know Dave Enns, he's in charge of church planting in the Christian Missionary Alliance. Every pastor who was on that trip, 12 of us going down, had either recently planted a church or would soon to be uh, planting a church. So every conversation, breakfast, lunch, dinner, late night in the hot tub, was all about planting churches. And it was that exact same thing that Pastor Sunder talked about, that stirring and that encouraging of the Word of God in your heart and, and pumping each other up for good works. So I came out of there just so excited. And, and then the one thing that I kind of gleaned as they were talking was, uh, they, they just had these stories that they were telling about people who just felt called and sold their house and moved and left the city and, and just to kind of go with the church planner. And I was like, God, you don't need to have anyone sell their house or anything, but you need to give me someone who's just excited pumped out, sold out for this vision. And as I continued to pray, God put this one person in my heart and who had already shared the vision with and they were a little bit excited. And so I just began to pray for that person specifically. I got back from Catalyst. I'm back in Toronto. And I'm driving with that person and I'm about to tell them, you know, how I've been praying for them. And the person says, uh, and I'm like, dude, I have to tell you so much about Catalyst. And he's like, I have to tell you what God's been speaking to me this week. I was reading Jeremiah and he's been talking to me all about this church plan idea you told me about. And I, I got to tell you, Mark, I'm 100% sold out for this idea. I am with you all the way. Like, we're going to get this thing off the ground. Awesome. So for me, I was completely sold out. Then God starts working in the hearts because of the people in this church. And, uh, you know, I, uh, it was about two weeks after uh, we had this initial conversation where Sam and Pastor Wayne and Betty uh, talked to me that I was on a young adult retreat. And God started working in the hearts of the young adults. I didn't tell uh, any of them about this, but God started moving in their hearts. And you guys have heard the testimonies of them saying, you know, God's been breaking things down in our community. He's been, uh, we've been confessing sins. We've been learning. And then they, they'd say this, 
He's calling us to something. He's calling us. And as he's been continuing to build up that community, I've been praying, God, don't just build up that community for the sake of community, but call them out as a community on a mission. And I couldn't help but think, is this God trying to raise up our young people? And I thought about Upper Room, the last church we planted. And what was it? It was our young people that went and planted that church. And I, I was thinking, I'm like, God, is this you trying to implant this in our DNA? That every five to seven years, you know, some of the young adults get pumped up. Some of them send them out. And others of them are there uh, actually going. I'm like, is that the legacy that you want us to leave behind? That every five to seven years, they know that and they're expecting that? I don't even have kids and that excites me for the legacy that that would be. And so for me, that was another thing that just kind of sold me on it. And then uh, it started, we started realizing the leadership. You see, uh, I think it was maybe seven, ten years ago, we had an option when we were looking at building programs and things like that. We could have left this neighborhood to buy land, you know, a few more exits on the highway. It probably wasn't a big, big deal uh, for those of us commuting. And we could have built a much bigger uh, church. But the elders of this church, as they prayed, they said, no, God has put us at 2459 Islington Avenue to make a difference in this community, and we aren't leaving. And so this would be the first move that this church gets to make to help integrate people from the community that we are impacting uh, into a church for the word of God. And so uh, that excited me. And Sam said, all right, well, let's take it to the staff. And as you heard last week, we took it to the staff and they were not, not, not impressed. They were just you know, not on board. Or it just it seemed way off or whatever. And so we went back to the drawing board and we began to pray about it. And Sam says, let's put a fleece before God. Let's put a fleece before God and let's say if it's not completely unanimous that not all the staff are in favor, then we're not going to move forward. And I said, can we go majority? Can we pray for majority? Unanimous? That's everybody, Sam. He said, unanimous or nothing. All right, let's pray. So we prayed about that, brought it back to the staff. Unanimous. Unanimous. All right, God, you're working in the leadership of this church. We're good. It's good now. He's like, well, we got to take it to the elders board now. Oh, okay. Well, no problem. You know, we, and he's like, let's pray this unanimous again. Let's put another fleece. What are you, Gideon, again? All right, let's pray it again. Unanimous, completely unanimous. That's what it came out, unanimous. We're like, all right, God, you're doing something here. And then God began to work, or had been working, in the lives of the people in this church. And I remember within the first uh, 24 hours that the elders gave us the unanimous, you know, go ahead and now start making your execution plan and get ready. Uh, you know, Sam and I were just so excited. We began telling our core leaders. And Sam was reporting. He's like, you know, Mark, he's like, these people are just crying. They're so excited because they've been praying for this. And they're, they're just ecstatic. And we're like, all right. And then within about 24 hours, we realized we need to stop telling people. We have to stop telling people because uh, it's kind of like broken telephone. It's now starting to tell other people. And then it's getting confusing. People are saying we're going to plant a church because so it's the people that hate this church. And we're like, that's not what we're trying to do at all. So we're like, let's stop telling them until we can finally communicate it properly and uh, so you know then people would be talking to us and you know same kind of ideas coming out and these 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 kind of holy discontents coming out and we're just dying we're just like oh we want to tell you but we can't so we're just like oh, yeah and uh and then you know these these gentlemen came up to sam and they said you know uh we have this ministry that we're doing in another part of the town and we love rexdale and we're reaching out to people but this isn't a, a, a service that we can bring them to we're, we're not able to find a lot of places that we can bring them to i think sam cracked at that point and he's like i have to tell you this <laughs> and uh, you know, he just couldn't hold it in um another person that just came up to us after you know that 24-hour stint where sam went crazy uh came up to me and said you know not only are we totally behind this we're totally joining you in this we will f- help fund this like that's how excited we were so god was just moving so much in people's hearts but I think the most exciting one was one of our elders who stood up when we had presented to the elders. And I love how the elders work. They pray through every decision. They don't just you know, share their opinions and you know, go back and forth. They just, they're just open to, to God's leading. And so as they were praying and they'd share what they pray, and this one elder stood up and said, I get this. I get this because when I came to this church many years ago, 
For many years, it was completely inaccessible to me. And if it wasn't for my wife causing me to come back week after week in the community that actually surrounded me and helped me and trained me up, it would have been completely accessible and I would have left. And I couldn't help but think, how many future pastors, teachers, leaders, musicians, evangelists, outreach workers, how many of those can we make the gospel accessible to? Where we can get them pumped up and disciple them and then go and send them out to make disciples. It's not a problem. It's an opportunity. And then the last thing uh, that was just uh, the nail in the coffin was uh, a sermon I was listening to by Stephen Furtick. And he was talking about um, how often when we have visions and we pray and we ask God for the future, we insult God. He's saying we insult God because, you know, God's probably hearing our prayers and saying, you don't need me to move. You can do that all within your own means, within your own financial needs, within your own uh, skills and abilities. You don't need me to move. He said, that's an insult to God. And as I was going through that book and reading the list of things of how you know you're called to a church plant, the last question was this. Can you do it on your own? Are you able to do it? Do you have the financial resources? Do you have the people and everything? And I can just, unless God moves, we cannot do this. And I want to invite the worship team to come on up. And they're going to lead us in a song. And this has been a song that my wife and I have continued to play over and over again in our house. And the song is, We Will Not Go without your presence. And we actually changed the words in our house. And we're like, God, not only will we not go without your presence, we cannot go without your presence. And so sing this song. Sing a song as a declaration to God that God, we cannot go without your presence. Wow. Well, as you go out today, I've just been praying, you know, how do I bless these people? And I want to bless you with a faith, whether you're going back to a family with troubled things or a workplace that uh, you're just regretting or, uh, you know, school and the difficulties that come with that and things that just seem totally out of your control. I want to bless you with a faith that says, God, I cannot go without you. God, we cannot go without you. Go in Jesus.